0: Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. Thank you so much for being here, whether this is your first time or you're one of the brave souls who join us every week. Communicating with the dead can be a haunting experience. You might unravel secrets from beyond the grave that can scar you forever. But in the whispers of the departed, you also might find enlightenment, and you better pray your experience is the latter. First, secrets of the labyrinth. Then, the dead will drive you mad. Finally, in our final story, a light in the dark. Before we get to our stories, I wanted to ask if you would take a minute to rate and review this podcast. You can pause here and do it right now or you can do it after you've listened. It's only one of the ways you can help Something Scary continue to grow, and it only takes a minute. Thank you so much. We are incredibly grateful for the support of all our listeners. So, wanna hear something scary? I talk to the dead. Sometimes fear can be the best motivator to discover something truly important like in this story inspired by Michael Wong. It was my first semester of college and my roommates Jeray and Paul were shocked to learn that I'd never been to a corn maze. Determined to remedy this, they planned a spontaneous trip to a nearby farm. It was the last one with a maze still open in early December as the winter chill was setting in. Excitement grew as we drove to the farm in Paul's minivan. Upon arrival, we jumped on a wagon that took us to the maze. Jere proposed a plan. Let's hide in the maze and startle unsuspecting visitors. We were on board. A girl named Bera overheard our conversation and nudged me. She wanted in on our mischievous plan to scare people. Her unconventional appearance caught my attention, wearing a summer dress in the chilly Utah evening. Unfazed, we continued with our plan. But as we ventured deeper into the maze, Barra and I found ourselves separated from Jeray and Paul. The air in the maze hung heavy with an unnatural stillness. Bera seemed unaffected by the fact that they seemed to be traveling in circles, humming a haunting tune as she snapped corn stalks, letting their dried leafy remains dangle. We were lost. I panted, my breath visible in the chilly night air. The stalks around us seemed to close in, their shadows casting silhouettes on the ground. Bara's pale face turned towards me, her dark eyes holding a glint of amusement. "I told you, don't worry. I know this place well," she replied, her voice carried an otherworldly quality. Shivers ran down my spine. It was getting dark as Bara and I ventured deeper into the maze. The path became increasingly irregular, the stalks rougher and more neglected. It was as if we had stumbled into a forgotten part of the maze. The festival sounds faded away, replaced only by the rustling of the wind through the corn. In a whisper, Barrett told me she was happy I was there with her. Her words raised the hair on the back of my neck, but before I could question her further, she proposed a game of hide and seek. An uneasy feeling settled in my stomach, but curiosity got the better of me. If you can hide from me for five minutes, I'll show you the way back, she offered, her grin widening. But if you can't, well, you'll have to follow me. The pact was sealed, and as I began to create a plan to lose her in the maze, she vanished before my eyes. The game had begun, and I started my elaborate plan. Snap by snap, I created a false trail, leaving my gloves strategically placed to trick Bera. As I waited in the darkness, her disembodied voice counted down the seconds. Three, two, one. Suddenly, chaos erupted, an unearthly scream thrashing, and the sound of cornstalks being ripped out of the ground. Panic set in, and I called out to Bera to be sure she was okay. The chaos subsided. from the shadows emerged a nightmarish figure, the tattered form of a woman. Bera's voice echoed from the grotesque being as she announced, Where are you? I found your gloves. Come out so I can give them back. The sight paralyzed me with fear, but I couldn't dwell on it. I ran through the maze, the wailing specter close behind me. I felt it tear at my neck. Then, a narrow corridor led me to the exit, and I burst into the moonlight parking lot where Jare and Stan waited. Their confused expressions deepened as I told them what happened with Bera and the entity that chased me through the maze. But when I mentioned Bera, their faces twisted. "'Who's Bera?' they asked in unison. A searing pain shot through the back of my neck. Touching the spot, I felt a small, fresh cut. Proof of the encounter. They insisted I had been alone in the maze, hallucinating a companion named Bera. A cornstalk must have cut you, they said. To this day, the scar remains, a reminder of a night that was the corn maze. Whether Bera was a ghost, a shapeshifter, or a figment of my imagination, the horrors of that night linger in the recesses of my mind. I've come to dread the mere thought of corn mazes, for the fear that the spectral whaler might find me again. Months passed, but the haunting memories of that night refused to leave my psyche. The scar on my neck was a constant reminder. Yet, despite the trauma, I became obsessed with getting answers. Answers hidden within the corn maze. It was a foggy winter evening when the decision to confront my fears came to me. I found myself once again standing at the entrance of a corn maze, Its vast walls of dead stalks hid the secrets within. This time, I had chosen to embark on the journey alone without my friends. The solitude was a desperate attempt to unravel the truth of what happened that night. As I ventured deeper into the labyrinth, the path unfolded before me. Each turn led me down the way from that night. It was as if the maze itself held my memory. The moon hung low in the sky Casting a glow on the corn maze and shadows danced. It was then that I saw her, a figure out of the corner of my eye, draped in a tattered floral dress, the embodiment of a spectral wailer. My heart quickened. The ghostly figure seemed to call for me, her form dissolving into the shifting shadows. The echoes of Bera's voice, distorted and haunting, reached me like an unsettling melody. Where are you? your gloves, come out so I can give them back. A chill ran down my spine as I navigated the path. As I approached the spectral figure, the wind carried that familiar tune, the haunting song Bera was humming that night. Her floral dress billowed in the ghostly breeze, the glow of her eyes fixed upon me. Then she turned to run. I was compelled to follow her, now. Chasing her through the dead sticks, I landed at a hidden corner of the maze but the ghost was nowhere to be seen. What lay at my feet was the body of a girl, the body of Bera. A missing person's report for Bera was filled in late summer when she had gone missing from her day camp. She was a sweet but mischievous girl who they thought at first might have just run off. The investigation is still pending as they tried to determine what actually happened to her to land her in that corn maze. But her family was incredibly grateful that her body was discovered. Now she can be laid to rest and my mind is eased knowing that her last moments, her last spirit moments at least, were of us playing hide and seek. Have you ever been to a corn maze? What secrets do you think could be out there hiding on vast farmland? Have you ever had a haunted encounter? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now... Sometimes the thing you've been desperately seeking has been right in your possession the entire time. Like in this tale based on a true story inspired by Crow. In the quiet town of Raithberg, where darkness seemed to linger a bit longer than it should, there lived a family marked by tragedy. The tale began with the memory of Juliana's mom, who had met a tragic end when getting dizzy and falling onto the train tracks. Her father died soon after, they say from a broken heart. They left behind a void that seemed hopeless, but hope did arrive in the form of Uncle Dom and Aunt Maria. Juliana and her sister Serena were welcomed into their home to live. Aunt Maria was a woman who found solace and joy in the simple act of coloring. Her nieces, Juliana and Serena, recalled the warmth of those moments spent with their aunt filling pages with vibrant hues that mirrored the love shared within their family. But life took another sinister turn when Aunt Maria passed away just days before Juliana's ninth birthday. A bout of pneumonia was too much for her old body to handle. The pain of loss weighed heavily on the sisters, leaving them sobbing on the floor of their shared bedroom. The laughter that once echoed through the house was replaced by haunting echoes of grief and Juliana found herself searching for something, anything that could bring back a semblance of joy. Juliana packed up her aunt's unfinished coloring books and stored them away in a box for safekeeping. In the midst of this gloom, Juliana and Serena drifted apart. Art became the one thing that was consistent and joyful for Juliana. It was a refuge where she could escape the harsh reality and find solace in the strokes of color on paper. It ended up being her major in college. March 6 marked the anniversary of Aunt Maria's passing, a date etched in Juliana's memory. 12 years had passed since that fateful day. And that anniversary, she received a package from her uncle. He was cleaning out the house and found a box of old coloring books. He thought Juliana would want them. As she thumbed through the pages, a flood of emotions overcame her. The nostalgia was bittersweet and tears blurred the vibrant colors that once danced on the paper. The journey through the books was a pilgrimage into the past, a realm where the divide between the living and the departed grew thin. Then, as Juliana turned to the last pages of the unfinished book from all those years ago, the page, mysteriously completed, revealed an image that mirrored Aunt Maria's distinctive style. How could this be? the haunting question lingered. This was wrong, she knew those pages were blank. In the confusion, Juliana tried to remember if she had finished the page. How could she forget something like that? No, she was sure she put them away exactly as they were after her Aunt Maria had passed. No one should have touched them since. Haunted by the thought of not being able to trust her own memories, she began to wonder if this was all a message from beyond the grave until of course she woke up and felt like her sanity was unraveling. Feeling unsure and depressed, Juliana finally visited her sister to share her discovery. Serena denied any involvement in completing the final page of the coloring book. She swore she never touched them once Juliana hid them away. She immediately called their uncle who sent the box, hoping to get some answers. The phone call echoed with an otherworldly chill as he confirmed delivering the coloring books. Then he went silent. A few moments later, in a hushed confession, he revealed a creepy encounter that happened on the day the coloring books were received. He said, I think it was Aunt Maria, Juliana said, cutting him off. Suddenly, the room plunged into darkness. A creepy dance of shadows swallowed the living room and kitchen. Serena's eyes went wide. Both girls were silent at what they saw transformed before them on the bright white pages that glimmered in the dark. Their uncle's words over the phone hung in the air. You can see her too, he asked knowingly. It was their Aunt Maria. Although departed, she reached out from the other side. As the sisters gazed upon the completed page in the coloring book, it transformed into an image of her aunt almost terrified, but then the drawing smiled up at them. A realization dawned on Juliana. Aunt Maria's spirit lingered between worlds, transcending time and space to leave a mark on the coloring books she left behind. The pages, carefully preserved in a scrapbook, became a testament to a connection that defied the boundaries of mortality. The family, now aware of Aunt Maria's presence, embarked on a journey to decipher the messages that she left behind for them. The once mundane act of coloring became a sacred ritual, a conduit through which they could communicate with the dead. The town of Raithberg bore witness to a family marked by a supernatural bond. The colors that once adorned Aunt Maria's creations took on an otherworldly glow, capturing the essence of a love that transcended death. Each completed page of the books held a story a conversation between realms that unfolded in hues beyond the comprehension of the living. The sisters, once fractured by grief, found comfort in the shared encounters with Aunt Maria's spirit. The once oppressive darkness of depression lifted, replaced by the ethereal light of an afterlife intertwined with the present. The rumors about what was happening in Wraithburg became a haven for those who believed in the mysteries of the dead the tale of Aunt Maria's coloring books became a testament to the power of love that defied death. Juliana felt a profound gratitude for the spectral connection that turned tragedy into a canvas of everlasting love. Have you ever felt like someone who died was trying to reach you from beyond the grave? Were they successful? What did they need so badly that they had to reach out? your story by sending us an email at something scary at snarl.com. It's only when we can let go of our grief that we can finally move on. And if we are unable to make that separation, terrifying things begin to happen. Like in this story, inspired by Sarah Luca. The sixth night of Hanukkah unfolded with a quiet solemnness for the Fleischer family. The air outside carried a winter chill that contrasted with the warmth coming from the dinner table. Despite the attempts of Jake's family to wear faces of joy, an undeniable darkness was cast over the holiday. This marked their first celebration without Zayde, their grandfather, who had died just a month earlier. The memories of his laughter and the tales he told around the Hanukkah candles were stuck in their hearts, particularly Jake, who was taking the death extra hard. Inside, Jake's mother tried to create a semblance of normalcy, preparing classic lakas and soufgan the jelly donuts. The scent of frying potatoes and sweets filled the air, a feeble attempt to mask the void left by Zayde's absence. The family gathered around the table, each with a smile that failed to reach their eyes. Hey dummy, it's your turn. Chad, Jake's older brother, nudged him. With a cloud in mind, Jake, lost in his emotions, groaned as he realized it was his turn to light the menorah and tell the story of Hanukkah. Huffing and puffing, he stood up and lit the candles one by one. Then he began to tell the story of the Maccabees, a long, long time ago, his gaze drifting to the empty chair where Zayde used to sit. There was a mighty king who ruled over Judea. He wanted to force everyone to be just like the Greeks And when the Jewish people weren't going to give up their traditions, a bloody war broke out. The king even tried to destroy the second temple in Jerusalem. That's when the Maccabees stepped in. Led by the fearless Judah Maccabee and his brave brothers, they fought and stood up against the king to fight for their freedom. And they won, taking back control of their precious second temple. Ah, get to the good part. His little sister whined. He continued, when the Maccabees wanted to light the menorah in the temple to celebrate, they discovered there was only enough oil left for one day. But that's the miracle. That tiny bit of oil lasted for eight nights. Jake's tone turned sarcastic. Can you believe it? Wow, eight whole days of flickering lights. Jake heard his older brother snickering at him and he felt him trying to kick him under the table. He'd had enough. Frustration and grief overtook Jake as he abruptly blew out all the Hanukkah candles. The room plunged into darkness. His mother scolded him for denying the miracle of God. His sister's wails echoed throughout the house saying now he's unleashed the evil spirits. You're supposed to let the candles burn out, not blow them out. I don't believe any of it, Jake shouted. He thought if Zayde could just be taken from him, then he believes in nothing. The table shook as he slammed his fist down, knocking over the menorah and breaking it in two when he smashed it on the floor. His father sent him to his room. Alone in the darkness, Jake screamed into his pillow, begging for a sign from Zayde, a sign that would offer a glimmer of hope in the face of his loss. Exhaustion taking over, he finally fell asleep. It was short-lived as he awoke abruptly to noises from the walls. Disoriented and expecting a prank from his brother, he called out, but the only response was the haunting silence of an empty hallway. Now awake and pissed, Jake crept down the hall to try to sneak up on his brother. When he peered into his room and saw that Chad was fast asleep, he spun around at a whisper coming from behind him. With wide eyes, he searched the hall to see who was there, but there was no one. Frozen in place, he wished he had never got out of bed. Afraid to move, he thought he'd just stand there in the same place until the sun rose, but he felt a nag in his gut telling him he wasn't alone. Another whisper called to him, and with a surge of courage, he ran toward the stairs. As he glanced down, he held his breath, trying to listen carefully to what lurked around him. It was difficult to hear much of anything over his heart pounding, his pulse beginning to slow. He slowly turned to go back into his room, when he was shoved down the flight of stairs. He screamed for his dad, but he felt the cold, wet hands of something covering his mouth. He realized he wasn't screaming at all. Nothing was coming out. Then as he blinked, a translucent, misty smoke-looking apparition appeared on top of him. Swirling around his head were other smoke demons creating a cloud above him. He could no longer see up the stairs. He couldn't breathe. In a panic, Jake thrashed around, Desperately trying to fight them off. It seemed like a never ending battle, and he was weary and weak. Just when Jake gave up, his head fell to the side and he noticed a glowing light piercing the smoke filled air. As it grew brighter, the smoky entities began to dissipate. Jake began to make out the flickering light of the menorah candles glowing brightly, destroying the spirits of darkness that had engulfed him. Finally, he was able to breathe again. Waking up in a cold sweat, Jake shook off the nightmare. Reluctant to face his family after the previous night's disaster, he got up and made his way to the kitchen. To his surprise, his mother greeted him with a cheery smile as if the previous night never occurred. She brought him in for a warm hug, thanking him for fixing the cracked menorah. Confused, Jake glanced over at the table to find the menorah miraculously made whole again. For the first time since Zayde's passing, a genuine smile crossed Jake's face. The events of the night left him with a newfound belief in the power of miracles, but he also couldn't forget the darkness that lurked so close to the light. Have you ever felt like someone from beyond the grave was looking out for you? That things were always happening not just by chance, but for a reason? This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Calvin Linderman. Additional audio editing by Fitz Harris. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalobos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sindalo and Calvin Linderman.